Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, August 18th, 2023 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, we recap all the political goings-on at the Iowa State Fair, of which there was many. And finally, we have some candidate action in one of Iowa's congressional districts. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me this week on the podcast are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. We have Lee Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Hello, Caleb. Good afternoon, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal is here. Greetings, Jared. Aaron, if you had one shot or one opportunity to seize everything you ever wanted in one moment, would you capture it or just let it slip? Don't do too much more. Don't do too much more. Leave them, yeah, and finally, Gazette columnist Todd Dorman is here. Hello, Todd. Hello. All right. First up this week, the Iowa State Fair is still rolling along as we sit here and record the podcast on Thursday afternoon. And we still have a few candidate visits to come on Friday and Saturday. Uh, but I think it's safe to say that the bulk of the political activity at the fair has already occurred. And, and there was plenty of activity per usual. The first three days of the fair were especially busy, with the main card being that first Saturday when both Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis made their state fair appearances. There's more than enough for all of us to talk about uh, what took place over the past week, so let's just do that. Let's do another uh, round-the-horn session here, and uh, we'll give the advantage and start with our colleagues who observed the fair from afar. Uh, so, Jared, you were keeping your eye on things from Siouxland, but I'm sure you breathlessly consumed every word written by your Lee Gazette colleagues at the fair. What stood out to you? Well, um, I uh, I read through your all's cables uh, and dispatches, and I uh, scrolled through Twitter, not calling it X, uh, to see what normal folks and uh, national reporters alike were saying. And uh, there was a few things that I was struck by. It seemed like um, DeSantis made a good attempt at trying to be more affable, which I talked about him needing to do last week. But I'm not sure how much that mattered from the other stuff that I saw, Um, at least online, which, again, is a bit of a false image. He seemed to have been drowned out by Trump and or Trump supporters. There was the Be Likeable Ron banner that was flying around the fairgrounds, uh, which is going right at one of his perceived weaknesses. There were the Trump supporters chanting Trump, Trump, Trump around DeSantis fans and around DeSantis, which means both DeSantis and his supporters were on their heels for that one. Um, I saw a report that Trump's plane flew over the area where DeSantis was flipping pork. That is so, so that's almost literally overshadowing someone. Um, <laughs> and, you know, then when Trump finally did show up, the video I saw just showed masses and masses of people waiting for him, which you don't see for any other, not even Republican politician, you don't see that for any other politician in any level of government. Um, and, you know, also I'll say my ears really perked up when I heard Joni Ernst a few days after Trump and DeSantis were there saying she'd be surprised if Trump didn't win Iowa. I mean, Joni Ernst obviously knows the Republican base of Iowa pretty well. And so I'd be worried if I were the other candidates hearing her say that. Um, yeah. And, and then for non-Trump and DeSantis stuff, you know, I talked about Vivek last week. And he seems to have made the most out of his state fair visit, not just wrapping uh, Lose Yourself again, but he was also being followed around by a colonial band, right? Like, I I saw a video of that. He had, like, colonial drummers or something. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, that's kind of goofy and charismatic and that can endear you to certain people. And, you know, at least in the event I covered with him when he came to Sioux City, he took a lot of time to take questions from people, which is smart because it shows you're not afraid of voters. And he seemed to be doing that, at least in the clips I saw at the state fair, too. Yeah, and I think that's pretty on brand for the way Vivek Ramaswamy has campaigned in in general in in Iowa in in the state fair was an extension of that. Um, I, I'll I'll second your uh, description of of DeSantis at the state fair, Jared. I think he definitely put in the legwork uh, that you were describing. You know, he he made the whole rounds. He was out there a good chunk of the day. He did the the retail kind of uh stuff go you know going on rides with his kids um, bumper cars <laughs> some bumper cars uh so so he he uh put in the, the you know the footwork the legwork of, of getting around uh the state fair versus trump's appearance which was pretty quick hit he was only on the grounds for a, maybe about an hour roughly give or take uh hit three quick spots now now that was more than eight years ago when he literally helicoptered in and out. Uh, but it wasn't the degree to which uh, DeSantis uh, made his way around the fair. But then again, as you correctly pointed out, Jared, uh, the attention that the, they drew respectively uh, was much different. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll stop before I steal from anybody else's uh, and what they wanted to say. Uh, Todd, uh, same to you. You were over there in Cedar Rapids. What jumped out to you from what you heard or saw happening out at the fairgrounds? Well, it's it's never good if something jumps out at you at the fairgrounds. You should <laughs> you should probably take off or or tell someone because it could be a a loose steer or something. So, uh, and you know, probably the most troubling thing is having what 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 do they charge now for that? Uh, four ounces of lemonade, a whole cup of water, and half a lemon. That they is like seven or eight dollars now. That's a good question. I didn't get one of those this year. Tom or Caleb, did you? I think it's about, I, I don't know if I got a lemonade, but I think it's about $8 for the, for the refillable cup. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, it's like three sips out of the, out of the straw. But uh, yeah, I mean, what Jared said, I think, you know, we were, we were kind of in this, there was kind of this moment in the last few weeks where it's like, well, maybe Trump isn't as popular here as he is elsewhere. And, and uh you know, there's all these indictments and, and uh, we, you know, there was a lot of criticism for his criticism of the governor. And so, and, and like one lawmaker, I guess, that endorsed Trump switched. And so there was kind of this like, well, maybe it's not over. And then you look at the, and then you look at what happened at the fair and you look at the crowds he drew, Trump drew, and, you know, it's, it's still pretty obvious that he's, you know, he's the clear in a way front runner by well if the polls are any indication 20 points or or more and i think it you know the caucuses aren't for what is it five months is that what we're looking at uh so it's not over but i mean the window really is sort of closing now with trump anything can happen but everything already has and it doesn't (laughs) it doesn't seem to really bother his supporters all that much so yeah, yeah that, that's a really good point. Sorry to jump in real quick because we talk about well, what 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 could still happen? You know, Trump is doing well, but who knows what happens? Well, what what's going to matter at this what, point? What what are you waiting for to happen that's going to move the needle that hasn't already happened? I mean, what? So, yeah, go ahead. So, something that can't be discounted, especially as we get into the last five months, like Todd was saying, 
is like other than Chris Christie, none of these other people Trump has run against have actually ran for president before and don't know what that's like when it starts getting, you know, in the, the home stretch, which is a pretty big advantage to have. And Aaron, on on what else could happen? I think Asa Hutchinson is banking on um, Trump being convicted of treason and, and being constitutionally barred from running. And, and you know, that that's some, what some of the counts are. So, you know, who knows? But but that, you know, that that's that's what some of these candidates are are, are looking at and, and banking on, it seems. Well, yeah, that's true. We had a Federalist. Um, um, what's the group's name is now escaping me, the conservative uh Society, Federal Society, Federal Society that uh, they published an analysis that said that they think that Trump's already met the bar for disqualification. But anyways, Todd, Todd, sorry, back to you. No, and it's, you know, as we've talked about before, his opponents are in this position where bad things are happening to Trump, but they can't they can't do anything about it. They can't say it's bad. They they have to basically say the same kind of things that Trump is saying, that it's a weaponized Justice Department and all of, all of this stuff. So, I mean, you kind of wonder at this point why some of them are going to stay in if pretty much all they're going to do is defend Trump while trying to beat him, and you can't beat him. So, I mean, it's just... You know, Tim Scott's dropping $8 million worth of TV ads into Iowa, and I, I can't help thinking to myself that maybe that $8 million could have been spent on something <laughs> more valuable and lasting <laughs> than than ads that I don't know are going to do him a lot of good. Traditionally, it used to be that they said TV ads didn't do much for you in the caucuses. I guess that's probably changed, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, good luck to him for trying, but it just does not look... It just—it looks like a hill that's too steep to climb. Yeah, and to that point, and to, and to bring it back to the fair, that's a, you know when Tim Scott's appearance this week was the the morning after the latest indictment news from the night before in Georgia, and Tim Scott largely avoided the question, did the two tiered system of justice thing, and didn't address Trump's charges, and and passed on. In, in, expanding on it beyond that at all so uh yeah maybe maybe he and the rest are are like caleb described uh, thinking that looking at it the same way asa hutchinson is uh that their their chances um trump not being in the race at some point and i don't i don't know that that how likely that is but uh, i guess dare to dream right um tom you were here for that big saturday that i talked about uh what were your takeaways from that day yeah so i covered the two democrats that uh were at the the state fair and um i guess the biggest thing that um stood out to me was um the size of the crowd that democratic presidential candidate um robert f kennedy jr drew um and um how it seems like his message was resonating with um a um uh, a sizable number of um, Iowa Republicans. So you had some Trump uh, Trump supporters um, in the crowd um, who were there to listen to him at the Des Moines Register's political soapbox. Um, you know, you had people in attendance who um, wore shirts that said fire Biden and were fanning themselves with fans from uh, Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis um, presidential campaign. Um, I talked to a couple of the people who were there to listen to RFK Jr., um, including one woman who, um, while um, she backs um, RFK and plans to caucus for him, 
um, also said that she likes uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and that in her ideal world or ideal setting, um, you know, RFK would get the nomination, you know, go on to win the presidency and that uh, Vivek would be his uh, uh, vice president. So that See, was really... This is, this is why it's always good to talk to real people because like, otherwise you would never know that such a person exists. Right. Yeah. It, it was, it was just, it, it was, it was, you know, I, I had, you, you read um, the national reporting and you read some of the reporting coming out of New Hampshire. Um, this was really kind of the first time that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, has really spent a significant amount of time in Iowa. This was the first time that he was really campaigning in Iowa. And, you know, so you see the reporting um, from New Hampshire and nationally about how um, he's developed um, uh, right wing admirers over, you know, his um, distrust of the media and vaccines, um, as well as um, his opposition to um, U.S. support and, and U.S. role um, with regard to um, the war in Ukraine. Um and, you know, he he has gained notice criticizing vaccines, you know, first with um, the debunked link to autism, autism, excuse me, and then um, during the pandemic. But it was really something else to kind of see that for yourself, right, to see that up close and to see how much that is resonating with um, uh, uh, moderates and independents and um, Republican voters. Um and uh, the other thing that stood out to me is, um, and I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, um, I haven't really seen many candidates um, talk about um, the carbon capture pipeline issue, and Kennedy really leaned heavily into that during his Des Moines Register um, soapbox. Um, you know, he received a loud applause for his criticism and opposition to the construction of these um, CO2 pipelines in Iowa that would um, deposit CO2 extracted from ethanol plants in Iowa um, to underground sequestration sites. Um, you know, the plan is to inject the CO2 deep into rock formations under Illinois and in a reservoir in North Dakota. Um, and so, um, you know, he um, he had his uh, campaign manager with him, um, former um, uh, Ohio representative and, and, and former um, Democratic presidential candidate, Dennis Kucinich, um, who uh, in, in used Dennis Kucinich as his easel. Kucinich held up, you know, a map of the, the pr proposed pipelines in Iowa um, and um, talked about them being a boondoggle that endangers Iowans for the sake of making money for big oil and big agriculture and accused Republican supporters uh, of the projects of being influenced by um, campaign donations. He made several comments about the influence of um, Bruce Rastetter, a major Republican donor and backer of Governor uh, Kim Reynolds, who um, uh, leads uh, pipeline com company uh, Summit Carbon Solutions. Um, but then notably, um, just a couple of days before that, Iowa Democratic Party Chair Rita Hart appeared on Iowa Press on Iowa PBS saying that um, Democratic challengers to President Joe Biden are welcome to campaign in Iowa, but then specifically um, kind of went after um, RFK Jr. saying that she was concerned about his anti-Semitic comments. 
So Kennedy in July brought up the idea that COVID-19 has been genetically engineered and ethnically targeted to talk uh, attack Caucasians and black people and to spare um, Ashkenazi, Jewish and Chinese people. Um, you know, his comments on COVID-19 have been widely condemned by Democrats. Um, and then asked about the criticism, Kennedy told reporters that, uh, quote, I've never made an anti-Semitic comment in my life. <laughs> yeah, I knew that was going to be fascinating, and it, and it absolutely was. And, and this is a good time. I, I remind myself, um, if you haven't yet and, and you need a, a catch up, go check out our coverage from the State Fair. Tom had a great story on on uh, RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson stop uh, everything that we're talking about here. Um, we got in the um, stories. Go ahead. Jerry. The, the specific the specifically naming people with the, the pipeline stuff was wild because even among, you know, other politicians like at the state level that have criticized those plans, they're not bold enough to actually name names about the people that are like pushing those companies. So that that in particular was wild to hear about and see. Yep. Yep. All right. Caleb, you've been at the fair every day that there's been a candidate there. Uh, so you've seen Yeoman's your, work. That's right. You've seen more than your fair share. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm getting booed by Jared. He's on mute, but I can sense it. <laughs> okay, go ahead, Caleb. What what stood out to you this week? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is unique. So those of you who have covered more fairs than me, let me know. But um, I was told, you know, before the fair to look out for, um, you know, big uh eye-catching moments from candidates or or something unique that they that they would do um but i didn't really see any kind of big swings or big moments from most of these candidates um uh, you know the most you could say as as jared mentioned um vivek ramaswamy rapping lose yourself which seemed pretty spontaneous you know he said it was his favorite walkout song and then it was played at the end so who knows um uh whether that was that was uh you know spontaneous or not but um you know, that caught some headlines. Otherwise, candidates really just kind of did their speaking engagements. They walked around the fair. They tried some food. Um, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley played some carnival games. Um, and, and but then and then they, you know, they took some questions from reporters and, and that was it. So, again, I don't know if that's unusual. Um, of course, the Trump uh, arrival was uh, different than his 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 last one in 2015. But it, it also, you know, made some waves with the plane flying overhead and, and the other plane flying overhead. So there was <laughs> there was. There was something to talk about there, but yeah, a lot of the other candidates, um, you know, didn't really uh, uh, take that big of a, a, a swing, I guess. So yeah, that th- that was interesting to me. Yeah, um, Todd, as the other longtime veteran here of State Fair coverage, I'll invite you to jump in on this too. But that's a really good point that Caleb and a really interesting question that Caleb asked. I, I don't feel like the State Fair uh, political schedule has necessarily. I don't feel like there's been a lot of big political moments there's big spectacle moments right there, there's there's big things that happen that that you remember like trump helicoptering in or a massive crowd with trump sanders and um clinton all on the same day and if there's anything that you remember it's more gaffes that candidates make and even those are are largely innocent like john delaney going down the slide by himself and how would how in the heck would he have ever known or, that that photo would go viral? Or Rick Perry or, uh, eating a corn dog? Or John Kerry ordering a strawberry smoothie at the fair in two thousand three? That's a classic one. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 memorable stuff in that, but it's more in that spectacle way, isn't it, Todd? Than like, I don't think we can point back to any caucus cycles and say this candidate really started taking off when he said X Y Z at the Iowa State Fair. Yeah, it. I mean, it's mostly just 
it's kind of a rite of passage as a presidential candidate. You're just supposed to go there and endure the indignities and oddness of the state fair, you know, and go see the big animals and flip the pork chops and all of that stuff. I mean, the time that Mitt Romney got into an exchange with one of the audience members and said that corporations are people, my friend, that, I mean, that, that just played into, I mean, he was one of those candidates. I think you often heard him described as, yeah, he's, he's that jerk boss I have, you know, he, he just, he's like a court looks like a corporate executive that would downsize me. So when he said that, it just sort of played into that. And it did that, that one sort of stuck, but uh, yeah, I, I can't, you know, think of major swings that came out of a, out of a fair appearance, but you know, it's like I say, you're expected to do it and you know, you're expected to, it's, it's good to see how they handle, like I say, the indignities of, of that you're going to encounter and the people yeah. you're going to encounter and what they're going to say and what they're going to ask you and, and all of that stuff. It's so yeah. in, in that way, it's, I guess it's valuable. It's one place they get to mix with a lot of different Iowans. that's not scripted. People saying things like, I'm glad they didn't hang you to, uh, to Mike Pence. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think it's illuminating to the rest of us who who watch this um, in that way that Todd described, that these candidates have to um, get out of their comfort zones, get away from their protective bubbles if they choose to do that, and not all of them do. Um, and and that's that's helpful to us to, to learn more about these candidates. But but it's not the kind of thing, like I, I think that's maybe a little bit of a romanticism of, of, of the state fair if people have the idea of that, that this is where something big's going to happen. Um, that, that That's not necessarily uh, the case. Um, all right, some really good stuff. I'll, I'll take the last turn here. And uh, um, I just wanted to kind of t- describe a little bit about my experience on Saturday as, as part of the small press pool that was, uh, credential to cover former President Trump. Um, so there was, it, it was a mixture of local and national. Um, oh man, I, I, I won't list names because I'll forget, but there was a couple t- local TV, me and, and, and one other local print. So maybe it was just the four of us. Uh, and then uh, a, a similar number of national people. And, and we were, you know, put in the Secret Service protected press pool that we literally followed former President Trump around the state fair uh, during his time there that day. And um, for anybody who's listening to this, uh, I don't know how many current or former journalists listen to the podcast that, that, who have dealt with Secret Service. They know what that's like and, and how intense that is and everything that goes into that and, and how careful they are about um, moving with their you know, person in this case, former President Trump, um, a, a, around whatever venue they happen to be at, um, that's a really intense thing. And and to try and do that at the Iowa State Fairgrounds was really, really fascinating uh, to be a part of, and 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 slightly unnerving, honestly, at times, and and not in the sense that I was ever concerned for my safety, but it, it was just such a challenge to try to move us, you know, through these massive crowds. Uh, from one spot to the next, and you've got campaign staff and Secret Service trying to do that, uh, um, trying to weave through literally shoulder to shoulder, packed people slammed in there, hundreds deep. Uh, some of you know the people up front have 
where we're moving through have been waiting there for an hour two maybe even more because they heard the president trump was going to be there so they got there early and staked out their spot so they're not happy when we're coming through that area um and then what made it even tougher was because it was super hot that day um appropriately the campaign staff and secret service people dressed fairly light and casual so they didn't look like campaign staff and secret service they looked like the rest of us schmucks and so when these some of these people we had multiple moments throughout the day where these people were um you know stationed there and here comes this group of people flying through and telling people to get out of the way and they didn't want to um I had one poor guy. I felt sorry for him. Uh, but as I was going through, I, 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 at one moment, and this was right in front of the port tent, um, I could see out of the corner of my eye and hear the guy kind of say, and I don't remember what the exact words were, but the sentiment was essentially, screw this. I'm not taking it anymore. And the poor guy decided to make his stand right as the Secret Service person came through. And he stepped forward to try and block us. And it was the Secret Service guy who... Um, he didn't knock the gentleman over, but he gave him a uh, a very clear shove <laughs> as he informed him what was going on. I mean, and that's just an example. And and there's and I as I described this from my viewpoint, that's a no fault thing there, right? Like the Secret Service guy is just trying to do his job. I get this guy who is frustrated and has no idea who these people are storming through the area that he staked out two hours ago. Um, so that was just a really I, I, I like literally spent about half of my time in, in that movement apologizing to people and trying to not get people angry at us and, and, and understand why we were there and doing what we're doing. It was just really fascinating um, experience from that perspective, kind of unique compared to other times that uh, in other places, you know, I've covered candidates with Secret Service. You know, usually it's a lot more manageable type of venue than it is the Iowa State crowd. Iowa State fair crowds so that made for a really interesting experience. And, and, and like others, you know, I was struck by the, the, the crowds that were there to see the former president. Um, it is instructive to note that not everybody at the Iowa State Fair is from Iowa. Not everybody from who's there from Iowa is a is a likely caucus goer. Um, so so those numbers don't directly correlate to, uh, to the caucuses of January 15th. But but it's you know, it, it is what it is. And, and, and when the disparity is as great as what we saw with the other candidates, it, it, it just merits noting. So um, uh, uh, an interesting, another interesting Iowa State Fair. A- anybody else, any, anything else that came up to mind before we move on? We did um, did Trump have any of his uh, walk-up music, like YMCA or um, Proud to be an American? Yeah, no, he only did remarks at the, at the last stop in, in this uh, kind of food pavilion restaurant area. Um, and, and there were like warm up speakers leading up to that. Um, I, I don't believe they played, uh, his, his walk up music or like his typical event, uh, pre-show music. Instead, it was Matt Gates and Matt Whitaker. They, they were the, uh, pre-Trump entertainment instead of Phantom of the Opera and, uh, and Rolling Stones and Cats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, there's a little bit of fair left. Uh, like I said, Friday and Saturday, if anything happens, we'll talk about that next weekend. But uh, we're, we're definitely uh, on our way out of the woods uh, on, on this one. Um, it's not just an all 
State Fair podcast, though, this week, although awfully close and it easily could have been. We do have one other important story to touch on before we sign off. Uh, This past week, Democrat Christina Bohannon announced that she will once again run for Congress in eastern Iowa's first district, assuming she becomes her party's nominee. And that seems like a fairly safe assumption. Bohannon would once again face Republican incumbent Congresswoman Marionette Marilyn Meeks, who defeated Bohannon in 2022 by roughly seven percentage points. And, And this is interesting, too, just because. This is the first uh, congressional candidate um, announcement we've gotten um, other than Ryan Melton in the fourth district, which is kind of the the one very non-competitive district in Iowa. But as far as the other three go, um, this is our first Democrat to enter the race. And and I know we're still more than a year out, but honestly, in most years, if, if, if there's competitive races, we've long since heard about candidates by now. So first of all, interesting that it took until mid-August to hear about this. Um, Tom, uh, you you wrote about this. I know Bohannon just announced this week. I, I don't know if she's done any interviews yet, but has she, to your knowledge, said yet why she believes 2024 will be any different than 2022? Um, she's done some interviews. Um, and essentially what she said is that um, she's launching her campaign because in, in her words, um, change can't wait. Um, you know, she, she um, feels that, you know, that, that the, the, the political landscape um, has shifted um, a little bit, particularly on the issue of abortion. And when you look at um you know what happened in ohio and before that what happened in kansas and kentucky um and then subsequently what's happened in iowa with um you know the, the special legislative session and lawmakers going back to des moines for a one-day special session um to pass another uh so-called um fetal heartbeat abortion ban um that uh that uh bans abortion uh, in most cases, um, you know, up until, you know, roughly six to eight weeks into pregnancy. Um, you know, uh, uh, Bohannon has, um, you know, used that um, to really go after and attack uh, Marionette uh, Miller-Meeks for um, her support of uh, a nationwide abortion ban with exceptions for rape incest in, in life of the mother, um, saying that um, it's um, out of step with um, the views of a majority of Iowans. Um, you know, Democrats again and again point to um, polling from um, the Des Moines Register, um, you know, pointing to their Iowa poll uh Back in, uh, I think, March or sometime um, this spring that uh, shows that um, more than 60 percent of Iowans um, believe that um, abortion should be um, legal in all or most cases. Um, so um, she's really, uh, you know, been been um, playing up that issue of um, uh, abortion rights and and uh, maintaining or protecting um, women's reproductive rights. Um and, and again, looking at um, kind of how that issue is played out nationally in other states, including, um, um, you know, so-called red states. Um, the other thing is um, she um, 
is uh, playing up uh, her background, her experience growing up um, with uh, a father who um, was no longer able to work construction after um, falling ill and talking about how um, the family had to, um, you know, choose between, um, you know, paying for medical bills or paying for other bills um, and using that to um, attack and criticize um, Marionette Miller Meeks and her opposition to um, the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, which among other things um, contained um, provisions in there um, to try and lower prescription drug prices for seniors by allowing um, uh, 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 Medicare to, um, you know, directly negotiate um, uh, prices with drug companies. Um, it uh, also um, included uh, provision to um, uh, cap insulin prices um, for for seniors on on Medicare. Um, you know, and she's also um, criticized Marionette uh, Miller Meeks for her opposition to um, the um, uh, infrastructure law that uh, uh, Democrats in the Biden administration and, and Christina Bohannon have argued, um, you know, have have led to uh, meaningful investment in Iowa communities, um, creating construction jobs, um, and the ancillary benefits to Iowa's economy from um, having, um, you know, upgraded infrastructure, roads, bridges, um, you know, broadband, um, et cetera. And so, you know, her her messaging is, you know, not all that different from, um, you know, what she campaigned on back in um, uh, the, the 2022 uh, midterm election cycle. Um, you know, it, it, it's, again, familiar messages, familiar attack lines, um, but, um, you know, hoping that now that Iowa is actually seeing the investments um, from that federal legislation that uh, maybe it will resonate a lot more with Iowa voters. Um, and again, um, you know, hoping that the um, abortion issue um, will be something that uh, will win for Democrats this time around in the wake of, um, you know, the Dobbs decision in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court uh, overturning uh, Roe v. Raid, and then now seeing the implications of that filter down to policies and decisions and legislations at the state level, um, including here in Iowa. Yeah, that uh, the anniversary of the Inflation Reduction Act was uh, recent here, I think this past week. And based on my inbox, I can see that being a, uh, a debate point among Democrats and Republicans in, in next year's campaign because they um, both were issuing their press releases on that anniversary. So, so Todd, to, to, to um, Tom's point, to hearing a lot of the same things from Bohannon that we heard last year. So, uh, it, it, if, if you'll forgive me for oversimplifying this, does abortion move the needle seven points in Iowa? One, probably not. I mean, it's it's tough to say. I, you know, it depends on what happens at the state level when the Supreme Court rules on the. Uh, the so-called heartbeat bill. Uh, I mean, it, it's going to be a factor that it, it wasn't a factor last time so much. So that does change the landscape. And, um, you know, we'll see if Democrats can get more organized and have a more compelling message. I mean, you know, it, that 
it's 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 sort of a swing district. I mean, it's not completely red. So Bohannon's got a, a chance, but it's it's always hard to to try a second time. Although heck, Miller Meeks ran four times before she got into Congress, so I guess anything's possible. But yeah, I think Bohannon's a fairly solid candidate. It's just, I mean, can she can she beat an incumbent that's now won a couple of elections? And I mean, that's that's difficult. She she raised some nice money in the first twenty four hours, uh, like quarter of a million. But I mean, me. me I'm going to learn to talk. Miller Meeks has, you know, I think she has 1.1 million in the bank at, as of June 30th, and she'll be well-financed and there'll be all sorts of outside yeah. groups. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it remains to be seen what, you know, what, what will the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee do in that district? Last time they sort of, they sort of uh, just kind of ignored it and didn't pour money into it. I mean, the question is, what will they do? What will they do this time around? Right. Especially yeah. when there's no Senate race i mean they got to spend the money somewhere yeah well and if i don't know if, if trump's on the ballot i i suppose that might be a, a republican advantage just because he's done done so well here but if he's not on the ballot is and his uh or for some reason and his supporters decide to stay home that could be a factor but i mean it's all speculation so we'll as they say only time will tell <laughs> Well, and and the other thing is that, you know, Biden will be on the ballot. And one of the things that hurt yeah. um, Democrats in, in the, the um, 2022 midterm elections um, was uh, getting tagged to national Democrats. Right. And not being able to really uh, differentiate themselves and their messaging from um, national Democrats and, and not being able to um really present themselves their ideas policies were all that that were all that different from what congressional democrats had had put forward um and 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 they ended up you know getting tagged with that and and ended up hurting them so you know the big question is going to be you know how is christina bohannon really going to differentiate herself from biden the biden administration national democrats and their policy agenda um when you know, yeah, she's getting support from from the D Triple C, right? And and is yep. the D Triple C really going to allow her to run her campaign? You know, yeah. the way that she wants, the way that she needs to in Iowa, or you know, is it going to be more of the same and taking direction from you know Democrats outside of state who maybe don't know the the landscape in Iowa, don't really know the district that much. Um, and is she going to be able to make inroads in places like Scott County that is trending more and more Republican? Yeah. Yep. Um, I speaking of that, I'm I'm going to out you and and Caleb here, Tom. I, I I we were kind of discussing something along these lines early this week on on Slack, and I I said they don't know the territory, and I didn't get a response recognizing that reference, which made me feel old and sad. Anybody else? Jared, Todd? Oh, we're, you guys are losing so many I, Iowa points. It's well, music, it's, man. Okay, you got to know the territory. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't remember where it was from. He don't know the territory from the opening number Good on the train. Meredith Wilson. That's right. Oh, man. Mason City. Have they banned I'm, any of his musicals up there? I don't know. <laughs> They're just banning books right now. <laughs> Mer- Meredith's still doing okay. He's still doing okay. Um. <laughs> 
Aaron, Aaron, if I could, this is unrelated to Iowa politics, but we are all reporters and uh, value the First Amendment a good deal. Um, I wanted to say something really quick about what happened to the uh, Marion County Record uh, newspaper in Kansas. Please do. Last week. Um, Every single person that's at all responsible for the raid on that paper, which has been reporting in Kansas since the uh, 1860s, should uh, at minimum not be able to work in their professions again. And I don't think that's being too harsh. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that some of those folks are seeing some measure of accountability now in terms of like closer scrutiny from uh, local and national press, which has been wild to see some of the stories that have come out. And, you know, I hope there's further accountability for the, the people who perpetrated that raid. And, you know, it was an egregious violation of the First Amendment which I know us as reporters can't stand, and I hope nobody else abides that either. And um, I hope that paper lasts a, a long time still. That that was an absolute... I mean, we see infringement and, and concerns about infringement upon uh, the free press um, fairly often, but that one was just chilling. I mean, my goodness. Uh, I'm guessing most folks who listen to to this podcast probably know what we're talking about, But but if you have not heard if you missed this uh please get out there and read this story and um hopefully gain an, an appreciation for how frightening uh this was and in just an absolutely uh, chilling case of uh a local government um I, I mean i don't know what they're doing well, i don't want to assign motive but but far exceeding the bounds of the uh the constitution and 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 the rights of, of of the press by seizing literally seizing stuff from the newspaper's office and from the editor's home and i mean just just absolute dictatorship stuff just, just chilling absolutely bone chilling stuff to think well, happened here and as someone who grew up in a small town it's interesting to me how a story like this or a news event like this can just kind of lead to sort of popping the lid off the the local the local politics and local law enforcement and I mean, you got this magistrate that granted the search warrant that drove into a school while drunk while she was had her license suspended for another DUI. I mean, I, I missed that part of this the story. Is, this Oops. is a this is a really interesting cast of characters down there that are running the show. <laughs> Which, like I say, having grown up in a small town, that's unfortunately not un, not unusual. I I I am um, heartened. As Jared sort of alluded to, by the response and the backlash and what we've seen since, it, it, that's at least been mostly encouraging. But holy moly, this this story is is, is something else, man. It, it, <laughs> well, and, and let's sorry, just just to jump no. in real quick, let's, let's let's not forget that the paper's co-owner, who rebuked the police raid as Hitler tactics, died a day later. Yep. Maybe. Yeah. Oh gosh, just. <laughs> On that happy note, but no, that was, thank you, Jared, for bringing that up. Uh, I, I definitely appreciate that and, and definitely worthwhile discussion point as well. All right, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you will receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be founded on, on the found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, 
Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Sioux City Journal. Imperfect will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer Stephen Colbert, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you for listening. Facebook shit. Peace out. Perfect. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.